Hallelujah. A lot of folks in this part of the world got up this morning after being at the pub all night. Sick, headache, miserable, and broke. But I'm glad we can come to the house of God and bask in his presence and the joy of the Lord being our strength. I wouldn't trade that for what the world has. Amen. Thank God for his presence this morning. Oh, it has been such an honor to be here. And uh, I'm not going to take a lot of time talking. I want you to stand with me. A little background here. This was the beginning of what the Lord <clears throat> began to give for me for the church. Uh, after what I would call a crisis, inward crisis, if you will. And it will be self-explanatory. And a lot of times when you share things like this with the body of Christ, with people, they say, and you, and you share with them what you believe the Lord is saying that we must do, they say, well, that, that was for you. That was what God was telling you to do. That was what your experience was for. But not so. It is the body. This is the beginning. This is the place of preparation to prepare us, not only for the coming days ahead, but just to be able to hear what God is saying in this hour, to be able to see the direction that God is leading us. And it has to, and, and I just keep referring to the word radical. There has to be a radical change. I was one night just spending the time with the Lord in the front part of my house. And, and uh, I had to get up to go to the back for just a moment. But when I was on the way walking, I know I heard his voice say, that there has to be a radical change come to the ministry in, well, he said to me, America. And there has to be a radical change come to the believer. And if that radical change does not come, all would be lost. But I, I know God in his mercy has a way of bringing that change. Now, he does that in a radical way. But I, I believe this morning that God is going to speak to us. And I take my text from Psalm chapter 24. And if I, if I would write a book about all of these things, and that is possible, but uh, you'd think I would have been able to do that in, when COVID was uh, raging and all those meetings were canceled, but I, this, I call this, Who Shall Ascend to the Hill of the Lord? And these, these words are the rallying cry, I believe, of the Spirit of God for us today. Verse 3, Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O 
Jacob's Salon. Pray with me, Father. Again, I confess that I don't, I have no talent. I don't have any ability that would affect any, anyone. And I look to you as my source again this morning for fresh oil and fresh unction. And I pray that you would anoint the people, their ears to hear and their hearts to receive and anoint our minds that the enemy would not take and steal our thoughts from us. And I pray, Father, and I give you the glory for it all. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. amen. You may be seated. I want to I begin with my, my journey, if you will, because that's where all this began, with the Lord dealing with me, and again, that crisis of my own life. Uh, early 2017, I was uh, praying in the mornings, and there were times when this would happen to me, and I would become so broken, and I would say to God, I, I need to shut everything down, everything. Our traveling, our mission, ev everything, I need to shut it all down. And uh, I, I would say to the Lord, I said, but I don't know how, how to do that. Then a few weeks would go by and it would be the same thing and I would weep. And I, I can't explain to you, I, I wouldn't and I don't have the time, but why I was praying that, but I just sensed that everything needs to just shut down. And uh, I, I said to God, I don't know how to do that. What do I do? I said, I have churches, every, you know, different places that have, have us invited to their conferences and their conventions and their meetings. And they, they have us advertise. And ha what do you say uh, to them? I'm not coming. Uh, how do you deal with the gossip where someone says he must have committed adultery or he's stolen money from, or, you know, just something? I said, how would you deal with that? I wouldn't even know what to say. But I, for months, I was having some problems in my chest and very mild symptoms. But finally, I, I ended up, you know, in, in the emergency room. And after it was all said and done, they said, you have seven major blockages and four arteries of the heart. Now, uh, they brought me back in. They said, we can't fix these with stents. It has to be open heart. My two daughters were there. One is a prodigal. And, of course, my wife. And I, I, uh, I was weeping. And my youngest daughter, who's the prodigal, said to her mother, why is my daddy crying? He's not afraid to die. Uh, but she didn't know in my heart. Now, I'm praying this in my mind. I said, God, I know you didn't give me, you didn't give me heart disease. That is from bad genes in the family and bad eating as an evangelist. And, and you didn't give that to me. But I said, I also know that you have a way of shutting a man down. And I don't have to explain anything to anybody. So, you know, I was shut down and I said, whatever you're doing in this, uh, I, 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 I'm here for several months. I'm not really going anywhere. I'm not going to be doing any preaching for a while. So I want you to talk to me. Well, those months went by and, and we got on into November. I took a tour group to Israel and I started having a little issue again in my chest. But then December come. But all of those months, that was May of 2017. And all of those months went by. But yet I... 
I could not see what he wanted me to see, and I could not hear what he was saying or trying to say to me or do in my life and ministry. So... Uh, December came, Christmas time. Right after that, one day, something happened in my office. Uh, I ended up on a helicopter back to the hospital. They thought I was having a stroke. But it, it, it was stress, they determined. And uh, the little neurologist, neurologist doctor said, Mr. Turner, you must be under a lot of stress. And I thought, lady, you don't have a clue. I can tell you something about stress. But all of that happened, and I still did not see. I could not hear. I prayed, folks. I knew about fasting. I started out on the journey, you know, fasting and praying. I kept that in my ministry, but yet I could not see. So all of these months had gone by. So one day I'm on the phone with Pastor Downs there in California. I'm in my office and we're just talking about things, you know, and uh, I'm not sure exactly what, but in the other ear... God began to speak to me. Now, during that time in the summer, I, I had, a, I'm not a person who runs after prophets or anybody, but there were two brethren. They were not prophets. They were 1,700 miles from each other. One in Florida, a young man in a church, uh, another brother on a ranch in Wyoming, but both of them within a few weeks contacted me and said, God has showed me something. One, the pastor said, this young man's not given to such things and he's a little reluctant to talk to you, but I said, have him call me. I just got where I could walk up the stairs and uh, where I go to pray a lot of times and he, he called me and he told me, he said, Pastor, I'm in the, in the altar at our church. And he said, the Lord showed me a mountain. I'm trying to condense it, but there was a road going down the mountain. It had cattle on it, one behind the other, cows. And he said one was fat, one was lean, the next one fat, the other one lean. They come down to the, the bottom of that, and there were two roads. And he said, the Lord told me you have to decide, you have to choose which road to take. And uh, there was more to it, but, I, you know... I just, uh, he said, thousands or many will depend on what you choose. The other brother contacted me and he said, the Lord want me to tell you that there, uh, you have to, there has to, and, and this young man also said, God was, wants you to know there has to be a change that comes. There must be a change. And, and so the other brother contacted me and he said the same thing. It was, it was unbelievable. He said, the Lord wants me to tell you there has to be a change come. There must be a change. And he said, there are two doors. Now we had two roads. Now there's two doors. You have to choose the right way. And he said, again, multitudes will depend upon what you choose. And, uh, and there must be this change that comes. Well, I was actually frustrated with God. And I said, why would I have to choose? I believe that if you told me I would go anywhere in the world, at that time we just had been in uh, Israel and I, I, I might have had the apartment then or, or yeah, coming up maybe a couple months later, I was going back to put the furniture in and I thought maybe the Lord is saying there's going to be a change in our ministry and I have to choose. Uh, maybe I've got to go alone because now my wife's not going to want to leave her grandchildren. I, I don't know what's going to happen and I kept thinking it's the ministry, it's the ministry, there's going to be this radical change, but why would I have to choose? You just choose. You just tell me where to go. 
So that day when I'm on the phone with Pastor Downs, I, and then God began to speak to me. I knew it was God in my, in my other ear at the same time, my spiritual ear. And here's what he said. The change that I must bring is in you, not your ministry. And if you do not allow this change for me to bring this change to you, he said, then from this day forth, the cattle will be lean and the fruit will be small. I can tell you he got my attention. I knew that from that moment on, no matter that I'd given my life and traveled the world preaching the gospel, home away from it much, but I knew from that moment I'm a man under judgment if I did not allow God to do what he wanted me to do. And I said, all right, I missed it for eight months. I haven't gotten what you want, but you tell me what to do. He separated me. I prayed in the morning, folks, I, I tried to spend a certain amount of time in prayer. I brought my petitional prayer to God, but he let me know that there's more to it than that. I want you to separate yourself to me. So I started going upstairs at night and I would read for a while, but then I'd just shut everything off. It was winter time uh, when this thing began. And so I had a lot of hours there and I just spent it. The time flew by and the Lord spoke to me in my spirit more than he had in 38 years prior to that. And then this journey began So the, as the Lord dealt with me. I, 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 I want to tell you, many years ago, and you may know this better than I, you're so close, but there was a, there was a small group of men near the town of Barvis in the Hebrides Islands, and they were meeting in a barn nightly to pray. And you, if you've read that story, it's amazing. They were praying for revival to come. But one night, there was a young man in the top of the barn who stood up and he read Psalms 24 and 3. And he said, brethren, he said, God wants to know, are our hands clean? Are our hearts pure? And the men fell back down in the, in the hay in that barn and began to pray. And according to history, by the morning sun, when it come up, revival had come to the Hebrides Islands. And this was a divine shower in time, but it was not the final end time deluge that promised our soul needed in the day that you and I are living in. But that scripture, who shall ascend, works for all generations. It is the prophetic now, folks. It is the prophetic future. And I never saw that any more clearly than I did when God radically began to change my life. I've always believed and preached the coming of Jesus Christ, but I also know and see that if he came today, and he can do anything he wants, but if he came today, he would come for a much unprepared church across this world. I can assure you, especially in the West where you and I live. I also see that Christianity is pretty much clueless about our responsibility for the end of days and as well as the ministry. I, I, I see that so clearly myself that 
No wonder there is a narrow road and few there be that find it. And when it comes to preachers, many are called and few are chosen. But, you know, I, I'm seeing that. But I also see this hope for the final phase of what God is doing. He is calling out his true church, his true preachers of the gospel. I call them apostolic because the word means those who are sent by God. And he is really calling out a remnant in this hour. You see, the who in these verses denote the fact that not all, and maybe there's not a whole lot that will ascend to the hill of God, and that this will become more clear as we go. But verse six, the word generation and the word them speaks again of those in a certain era of time. Well, I believe with all of my heart, we are there in that time. I have never, listen, I have never seen the church in as dire condition as it's in today as a whole. I, I, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm 63. Now, outside of the years as a teenager, as a rebel, when I was away from the church, I was raised in it as a boy. But all those years, but I've never witnessed it like this. My dear sister Fendin and I used to talk to her sometimes on the on the phone or try to as often she was like a mother and I I, I talked to her one time about this and she said she had never seen she was way in her nineties when she passed away she had never seen the church in this condition in all the years that she had been a Christian and had been in Pentecost. But folks, I do believe this with hope. There is a shift. There is a change coming to those who are pure in heart. Not perfect, but desiring to be perfect. Something is happening. I sense that in the spiritual realm of God. I'm not trying to be like a television preacher. I have nothing to do with that. But I'm telling you, if I were a prophet and if I prophesied, I would tell you... It will not be from here this day forth. The church with the best talent, the best programs, the, the fanciest building, nor the most gifted speakers in their pulpit. But it will be the church that is ready to ascend to Zion. The church that is ready to ascend to the hill of the Lord where the presence of God is that I preached about here last night. It is coming to that remnant preacher. Now, we were discussing the other day, and, and, and I know everybody claims to be the remnant, and they're a little exclusive group, and I believe in exclusiveness in a sense, but, but everybody claims to be the remnant, but I don't choose the remnant. God does. And I'm not the one to qualify people to be in the remnant. It belongs to God. But I believe with all of my heart, there was an old writer that said, he said, he's passed now, but he said, God awaits a distinct people who will ascend to the holy hill of God. That's the reason I included that. It fits well. The candidates are few because the ascent is righteous. It is nothing less than a complete separation from oneself into perfect union with God. These times demand such a person. They demand such a preacher. They demand such a believer in this time, in these days. Those scriptures talk about clean hands. That's more than what we look like, you know, holiness is more, I should say, hands denote what we do. It is our actions. And then that pure heart, when one makes, begins that ascension upwards, the heart, the motives, the impurities, 
the pride, the selfishness, the lust, the bitterness, the jealousy. I, I'm telling you, the church is so full of that and ministry is so full of that. It's unbelievable. But when we begin that ascension upward, I know in my own heart, as the Lord began to draw me aside, he showed, there were things that I did not know and could not believe was there in, in my heart. But he brought all of that to the front, all of that out. And, and, and then the writer said, who shall, who have not lifted up his soul unto vanity? You know, we have to be honest with ourselves that we all have our share of vanity. And I'm not talking about our clothes, our cars, our homes, our looks, but in this sense, and I believe this is the, this is the, the, the uh, place that God has put in this, it is the game plane. The game plane in Christianity is going to come to an end for those who desire to ascend into the presence of God. I just call it to his holy hill. I, I want to be honest with you. I want to be truthful about this. Uh, when I looked and saw that burning bush in that time, now literally, obviously, I didn't see that like Moses did, but spiritually, when I saw that burning bush on that, that experience, and then my heart was pulled to ascend up, I began to see that, that Turner wasn't, wasn't as deep as Turner thought he was. Yeah. And then I also realized that for most, the most part, Christianity was pretty shallow, especially in my country. We knew a lot about things of the Bible and having church and so forth, but a lot of shallowness, if you will. And you say, well, how do you know that? How, how can you judge that? Well, I don't mean to be a judge, but I do know this. I, I know there's things that move us. What moves us is what motivates us, what impresses us. It's not for the most part. Now, there are exceptions, and there will be there will be a great, greater amount of those exceptions, and I thank God. But for the most part, it's not the holy mountain where God is. It's not that, that holiest of all. That doesn't really motivate a lot of believers in 2022. At least I can say that for the United States, because, you know, I, I am a resident there, so I, have, I, I can criticize it, I guess. But I just know that that's not what motivates most Christians in my country. It's not, it's not the presence of God, but we are moved and motivated by certain things and services that, that bless us. You know, uh, if we're pastors, our pastors are motivated by what they see in other ministries. When they see them growing, you know, they, they're, they're motivated, they're impressed with that. And, and we are moved by what we see other churches are doing. Uh, you know, and sometimes we try to copycat that, if you will. I never was a believer in such things because uh, one, one friend of mine had pastored a church for a number of years in a very rural area in Kentucky. And he, um, his last name is Turner as well, and he wanted to go see what others were doing. He wanted his church to grow. And he said that he drove maybe a half a day or something and burned out his gas. And boy, it would be expensive today for sure. And he went to this large church where this pastor had a handful, but suddenly the growth exploded to thousands and he wanted to know the answer. But the first thing the pastor said to him when they sat down, 
He said, I just want you to know we don't deal with sin in the preaching. We don't talk about hell. And he said, I wasted a half a day. I said, I, I thought I could have told you that. So, you know, we are impressed by certain things that we see. As a missionary evangelist, I, I, I might be impressed or motivated by what other missionary ministries are doing. I'm going to tell you what motivates us in the West. It is the accolades of men. We like that. We all like that. I mean, we, we may resist that. We may rebuke that. and We, we may not say that, but we like, we like the accolades of our movements. We, we are a success-driven generation, even when it comes to Christianity. But God is tired of all of the charade of the church and of ministry. The restoration of all things is beginning. It talks about the tabernacle of David being restored. Now, I want to be careful when I say this because this can, uh, you know, be a two-edged sword. But I'm, when I say that there's a restoration, I believe there's a restoration not of, you know, others, they preach this and they say, well, it's a restoration of the type of worship, the Hebraic or Hebrew worship, you know, and then all the songs and the minors, and I don't disavow that. I like that kind of music as well. But, but, but a restoration of Hebrew worship, well, that's not what, he, what he's talking about. But he is talking about, I believe, yes, Jesus reigning on David, the throne of David for eternity. I understand that. But he, I believe he's also talking about a people that will worship God in spirit and in truth. And the people that will worship like David did. And God said about David, he said, I, I found in me the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. I believe that that is what part of at least the tabernacle of David that's going to be restored is a people that will worship God, you know, and, and be after the very heart of God. God help us folks. Uh, in these days, I have to look back and believe that surely some of these old songwriters had figured that out somehow in days gone by and somewhere it got lost. But that restoration is beginning. It made David different than the others. So the question is, will that charade continue? It's going to for a little while. I believe that. I see that for those who... Do not look toward the mountain of God, the hill of God. And I've made this statement often, and I've said, since then, I've said, if we do not allow the Lord to bring us to this place that I'll get to in just a moment and deal with that, then judgment will define us. Now, you've got to remember here, this, this was given to me prior to, to COVID, prior to the pandemic that came. Well, I can tell you that judgment has already defined many he, he, that went into a lot of churches and dismantled a lot of stuff. I can assure you that. But it wasn't enough. It was a phase, it was the first phase, but it, it wasn't enough. And my dear, a dear pastor friend of mine, many of you know him, he said, I'm concerned, I'm troubled because we did not learn from the pandemic. The church was not impacted enough. It was not effective enough by what took place and what happened. And then we, after this, I was preaching in a conference, just a little too, I said little, two service, two short term conference, Saturday night and Sunday recently, and we were in a conversation. 
And it had already come out about the Ukraine and about the shortage of wheat. And we're already experiencing, can you imagine, a shortage of food in the United States. Baby formula, many other things. You go to the store shelves, a lot of them are empty. And people are really psychologically, it's impacting them. And I said this, I said, you know, we had the recession of 2008 and people couldn't buy nicer cars. Maybe they couldn't go to a fancy restaurant or certain things, but, uh, you know, it never changed them whatsoever. It never stirred them. It never caused them spiritually to seek after the Lord. And then we come now, we have the pandemic, and now some churches, there were a few select, in, in a sense, if you will, where God reversed that, man. God began to bless, and the churches grew. But for the most part, I shared the first night that they uh, averaged and lose at least 32% or a third of the congregation. So, but I made the statement. I said, it's one thing for a person's life to be impacted to where you maybe not be able to upgrade your house or buy a newer car or go to a nice restaurant. But when that stomach goes to growling and that stomach becomes hungry, that, that changes everything. Everything. Folks, I, I don't know when. Again, I'm not a prophet, but I do know this. That day's coming. Amen. You, you can believe all oh, people said that can never come to the West, but the United States is struggling. We, we don't have enough fertilizer to grow the crops that needed to be grown. And the price of fertilizer, folks, a simple thing is that is astronomical. If I'm not mistaken, they, they told me it was like $4,000 for a, a, a load. I don't know what a load, but it had gone out the roof and farmers said, we can't afford this anymore. And not only can we not afford it, we, we can't even uh, get it. You know, it's, it's hard to get. China bought up millions of farmland in the United States. I don't know how I got on this, but millions of acres of farmland in the United States. And uh, all these things, I'm just telling you, people do not realize in the days ahead, but God, be not deceived. God is not mocked. He's not mocked. You can't kill 70 million innocents and get by with God. Ah. But those who look up and begin to ascend, I'll get back on track here. They have an inward determination to know God and his ways and, and accept the kinds of, they're willing to accept the kinds of dealings that it takes to break the power of that deception to have a life that is fully authentic and in union with God. The facade has to come down. The charade has to end in modern Christianity. When I was a boy, there, most of the churches there were belonged to some denomination, Church of God or something of that nature. And then there were those who would kind of branch off and break off and be independent. So they had this thing against the, uh, the, those who belong to the denomination. And they said, well, they say denominations are organized religion. We don't want to be a part of organized religion. And I said, you know, uh, it's not a denomination that's really organized religion. But I want to tell you what it is. It's the way that we have compartmentalized God. 
and compartmentalize ministry in the church and compartmentalize Christian life. And the problem is we've not been able to see that just like me, given my life and traveling and praying and and going and, and to spread the gospel, but I really wasn't able to see the way things were going. We've come to a place where we have a horizontal view about things. You remember Moses when he slew that Egyptian. The Bible said when he stood up, he looked this way and that way. But the problem was he never looked up. That's the reason God could not use him at 40 years of age. He never looked up. He looked sideways with a horizontal view. That's exactly the way we're doing today in the church. It's a natural way. It's a fleshly way. It's a religious way. But we've really not been looking up. We, we look sideways at stuff. And that's the only way I know how to put it, is stuff. But I'm telling you, that stuff is important, uh, it, a part of what I'm going to say to you this morning. We, we look at church stuff, and we look at religious stuff, and we, we, we're, we look at financial stuff in our own lives and homes and, and the church and ministry. We're looking, and if we're part of the church, we look at talent stuff and ministerial stuff, and that has filled, filled the minds and the thought patterns of the modern church in the West. We're just, we're just looking at stuff all the time. But God spoke to me. I know he did, and I say that without reservation. God spoke to me to say to the people, the people that he's calling out and up, quit trying to find me in the stuff. I'm not in the stuff, and I'm not going to be in the stuff. You know, we we used, especially before uh, uh, COVID, we used to go to all types of these conventions and conferences, and man, I made so many pilgrimages to Beaumont over the years, and and many did. And so uh, I, I drove out there in 1988 for the first time, my wife and I in a little Geo Metro. Well, I'm 6'1", I guess, and and uh, always been a fairly big man. And I said, you'll never get me to do that again. <laughs> they had to pull me out of the car. <laughs> and uh, uh, so I, I bought a plane ticket. But we'd have those meetings. And man, you know, if you've been there, you, you were broken, weeping, confessing, you know, praying, morning, night, it doesn't, it, whatever, you know, the service was. And all those things, but we were so stirred and we were blessed and caught up in the showers of that meeting. But the tragedy is, and I didn't realize this for a long, long time. In fact, not until the Lord really did this in my heart. And we would leave that meeting. And if we were driving, before we would get out of the Beaumont city limits almost or across the, the Texas and Louisiana line, or if we got to the airport in Houston, by the time we got on the plane, we lost what we had. We lost that. It, it, it dissipated. Because we were so full of stuff and clutter, religious clutter. The phone, when we got finally got cell phones, the phones would go to ringing and the problems of the church or the family, whatever it was. And, 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 and all of that just kind of rushed back in and we, our world then was back down here again. And we're just looking at everything. The, this came up in the church while you were gone and this happened. And, and it, it's just religious clutter. And then the sounds, the sounds 
were so that we could not hear the still small voice of God. I'm not saying we never heard from God, obviously, but I'm saying that we just could not hear that still, small voice to be sensitive to that because of the religious racket, the religious noise that's taking place, and not only religious, but the worldly noise, the noise of the world. I I tell these folks, listen, I, I look at my phone, read some of the news, but I can go to a hotel, and a week I'll never turn the thing on. I'm not just anti, I just don't want that in me, I don't want that. I get enough of that news just looking at my phone, my blood pressure goes up. I get aggravated, you know, and and I thought, no, I I don't want to look at that stuff. I I keep up with it enough to know. I don't want to be ignorant of what's happening in my world, but but I, I don't want to hear the noise You know, I don't watch all those talk show guys fighting about Trump and Biden and Pelosi and the Democrats or the Republicans. I I don't fill my days with a YouTube uh, version of that or whatever of that. No, no, not at all. Because I'm telling you folks, as I said, I believe in voting. I believe in that. And I I believe in being a good citizen. But I, I know that my citizenship is not of this world. Too many sounds. We're stumbling around in the stuff and the clutter. We can't see the hill of God. That hill of God is important. We can't hear his voice for the racket, the noise. I want to tell you what I know he said to me. I'm really, I've always been careful of that. My mentor used to say, and I would the same thing. I would say, I, I, feel like the, I feel like the Lord did. I feel like he said this. But there are some things that I can definitely say to you that he said. And this is one of them. He said, my people, I'm not talking about your salvation, going to heaven or not going to heaven. But he said, my people are right here. All the stuff, all the clutter of life. And my people are right here and all the racket and the noise of the world and even religion and they're right here. But I'm here. I'm not saying we're not saved. I'm not saying that at all, but I'm here. I'm talking. I'm trying to lead them. I'm trying. I'm in the hill of the Lord. Moses couldn't stay down here, folks. He couldn't stay at the foot of the mountain. The mountain that was aflame with fire, the burning bush was there. He, had, he said, I have to go aside and see this great sight. He found God on the hill of the Lord. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? And he said, they're here. And because of the noise of the world and religion, they cannot hear my voice of where I'm trying to take them in the end of days and the last times. They cannot see because of the clutter and the stuff that's all around them. And, and this is where this was born. You know, I, I, I don't have a wide audience, but I do what I do wherever I am. And, and wherever it goes, I just say, listen, the Lord is saying, come up here. The Lord wants you to separate into that holiest of all in the presence of God. He wants you to separate yourself for a time from the clutter and the noise and the stuff, the television, the social media, the, the, the whatever it is, and come up here where he is because he has something to say to us. He can help us see that this is the end of days. 
and that our, the church has a responsibility. He's in a high and a holy place, according to Isaiah 15, one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. He said, I dwell in the high and the holy place with him that is of a contrite heart, a humble heart. I made that statement out in, in Chino, and one of the young ladies that was raised in the church came to me, I guess that night, and said, you know, said on the way home, she said, my husband said to me, she said, you know, she said, he said, God God doesn't dwell with chickens. And for a moment, it, but then I, I, it, it, it became clear, you know, God doesn't dwell with chickens. And I thought that's true. You know, talk, talking about the eagle, how it soars, and you know, but God doesn't dwell with chickens. And I said, that's true. God's not going to walk around in the chicken coop with the church, and that's where much of the church is. And he's not going to walk around with all the religious manure and junk in that. God dwells in a high and a holy place. And he's calling his church and his people up to that high and that holy place to separate ourselves. No, we can't go join a commune or be like the Mennonites or the, the, uh, the, the other group there in the stage. No, but I'm just telling you that spiritually we can separate ourselves. He's just not going to get in the clutter with us. It doesn't matter how successful our churches are. When we have them growing, you probably have them here in Northern Ireland and in the, in the South, uh, and everybody thinks they're successful, and they're, but the problem is their, their religion is still cluttered. God's trying to talk to them. Just because you have numbers does not mean it is the blessings of God. I know of a lot of churches in the, in the United States that have, are growing, are large churches. I know of ministries that are large ministries, but they, they're still in, in the stuff and the clutter, and they're not hearing what God is saying. Say, so how do you know that? Because I know what they're saying. They're not warning people and telling people this is the end of days. And you have a responsibility for the kingdom of God to be not only the light of the world and the salt of the earth, but to make known now the manifold wisdom of God, the principalities and powers and of the universe. You say, that's above me. It's above me, folks. I can tell you, I've said to God, I don't know what that means altogether, but I do know this. I want to be a part of that church. I, I want to be a part of that church. That does that. I believe that the end time glorious church will fulfill the will of God in the nations and in Israel. Persecuted though it may be, I believe the end of days church will see the holy fire on his holy hill and something's going to happen in the hearts of the people, the spirit. I've shared things like this, and I've had people to come to me with tears, and they said, you know, I, I, for a month or months now, God has been dealing with me about that, and I did. And there was one, uh, one man that, a large church, and uh, part of the ministry, great, brilliant, godly person, and he came to me and he said, for months, God has dealt with me like, about that, and I didn't even realize what it was. I'm thinking to myself, well, don't, don't worry about that. It took me eight, nine months for God to wake me up to that. To get my attention. But something is going to draw this generation of godly people who love the Lord. 
and draw them to this hill of the Lord, this place in God. Again, I don't mean to sound like a televangelist, and I don't really think you'll hear that on Christian television. This drawing is different. It's the call of the remnant. It originates with God. It's the work of the Spirit. And in closing, I saw, I saw this I saw this in the Old Testament story of the Song of Solomon. Now, you can preach a lot of things out of that. But I saw this in Song of Solomon 5 and 2. She said, I sleep, but my heart waketh. And that's amazing, isn't it? I'm asleep, but my heart is waking up. It is the voice of my beloved that knocketh. Now, you know, I, I don't know anyone that maybe wouldn't say that that, that is Christ, my beloved and that she is the church. Now again, people can preach a lot of things about that, and, but I'm just telling you what I see. He said, open to me my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled, for my head is filled with dew, and my locks with the drops of the night. Matthew Henry said about that, those who by faith are espoused to Christ, he looks upon as his sisters, his loves, his doves, and all that is dear, and being clothed with his righteousness, they're undefiled. Now here, here's what he said, this consideration should induce her to open to him. And Christ's love to us should engage ours to him even in the most self-denying instances. Open to me, he said. Can we deny entrance to such a friend, to such a guest? She has failed to stay awake, to watch her beloved is knocking. That is the church as a whole in 2022. She hesitates the comfort of her bed. This is where it gets really, really, ah, uh, you know, like the picture of today, but pathetic. Her excuses are absolutely pathetic. She says sleepily, she replies, I've put off my coat. How shall I put it on? And I'm thinking the same way you pulled it off. How shall I put it on? I have taken off my, I've washed my feet. How shall I defile them? But it's your beloved but her excuses are so pathetic and it reminds me of the modern church, our excuses as to why we cannot separate from the clutter and the stuff and the religious noise and separate ourselves daily, if you will, into the presence of God for a time. Our excuses are as pathetic as hers, but it's a picture of where we are. But thank God her beloved persists I'm glad he did not give up on me. He persisted. You're busy, Turner. You're preaching. You're traveling. Your wife's raised your kids while you travel the world. And you're busy. You're busy. But I, I want you here. I want you here where I can talk to you. You got to choose the right door, the right road. You gotta choose. My beloved put his hand by the hole of the door and my bowels were moved for him. This is a work of the heart. The Holy Spirit works on the heart. She's stirred, yet she lingers. 
And she said, I rose up to open to my beloved and my hands dropped with mare and my fingers with the sweet smelling mare upon the handles of the lock. Mr. Henry said, I rose up to open to my beloved and I love this now. He said, his grace inclining her to do it and conquering the opposition of unbelief. It was her own act, yet he wrought it in her. That is the sovereign move of God. And that is the sovereign move of God in this hour. Hallelujah. Upon people, he finds a heart willing to listen and to be moved and to obey. Thank God for his sovereign grace. Ah. This drawing is what I sense that God is doing in the end time preparation of the church. Not just for heaven, but a prophetic fulfillment of his word. And I'm convinced that those who will ascend to his holy hill and find the reality of who he is, his grace, his goodness, of what his final work will be, wrought by his own who have ascended up to the hill of the Lord. It's not pie in the sky. It's the will of God for every believer in this room. Sons and daughters, he said, would prophesy. Young men would see visions. He didn't leave us old folks out. He said old men would dream dreams in the end of days. I'm holding on to the promises of God. But I believe this is the step first. To get us to the place that God can use us for this hour. I like the story Pastor told me about the revival in Ulster. Is that it? Yeah. About the young man that uh, the pastor, I think, spoke to him and as he walked out of the church that day and said, why don't you do something for God or something to that effect? Just got a hold of his heart. And turned... Uh, this part of the world upside down with the gospel for Christ. Why don't you do something for God? Why don't you make up your mind today to ascend to that place, the hill of God, where God is talking and can talk to his people away from the clutter and the stuff and the noise to prepare us for the days ahead. Yes, I believe in the coming of Jesus. I believe in it. But as I've stated and repeat, until he comes, we have to be the church. And we will be a glorious church when he comes. Would you stand?